Picture two different runners. One is on a screen, a character in a movie who is running through the woods from somebody chasing after her. The other, the other is, is running in the final championship heat of an Olympic sprint. Both are fast. Both are focused. But they finish very differently. The runner running through the woods trying to get away from somebody chasing after her, totally unexpectedly, nobody saw this coming, trips and stumbles. Never happens in movies, right? The other, the other runner, the, the sprinter in the Olympic final, stretches across the finish line to secure herself a medal. Both were fast, both were focused. What was the difference? What accounted for the different outcome? Well, they were both focused on different things, weren't they? The one running through the woods was focused on what she was running from. The one in the Olympic competition was focused on what she was running to. And it makes a world of difference. And that distinction really, in a sense, summarizes or captures really every Sunday's theme throughout this series. The difference between what we're running from versus what we're running to. And the outcome is going to reflect where our focus has been, hasn't it? And, and the fact is, if, if we are seeing this escape as always and only a matter of what we're avoiding, what we're running from, what we're escaping, that inevitably we're going to, like that, that one running through the woods, we're going to stumble, we're going to trip. We might escape, we might get away for a little while, but, but running from something only takes us somewhere else where something else will inevitably come after us, and then we have to move from there and run from there and escape from that. And that path will continue, maybe for a short term in our lives, maybe a significant portion, maybe our whole lives, if we don't understand the difference and the importance, the distinction between what we're running from compared to what we're running to. Think of it this way. Having just visited the doctor because you knew there was some issue, something going on, and you, you got back from the appointment, you knew it was going to be a couple of days till the doctor got back to you, and sure enough, a couple of days later, there's the voicemail, there's the email, and maybe there's even nowadays the text message that lets you know the doctor's ready to talk with you and follow up, and yet, the voicemail goes unanswered, the email is never read, the text is avoided because you're afraid of, of what the consequences are. So you are escaping from that, you're avoiding that, but what a difference if instead you listened to the voicemail or answered the email or the text message and you went to the doctor who then informed you, well, it's this, but guess what? Prognosis looks good. We'll treat it with this, this, and this, and no problem. See the difference there of the unnecessary anxiety and, and stress that you brought on because you were trying to avoid, trying to escape from something instead of going to someone that actually could have, could have helped you. If you notice something throughout uh, this series, typically as we worship, the, the, the portion of the service called the verse of the day, usually that verse is different. It reflects and ties into the gospel for any given Sunday. But throughout this series, I've kept that verse of the day the same because it really 
is kind of the, the summary and reminder of what real escape is all about. Let me read it for you again if you didn't notice that it's the same verse of the day throughout this series. It's Jesus' invitation to you and me recorded for us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you notice that, that Jesus in these words doesn't say run away from whatever problems you have. Escape from whatever is weighing on you, making you weary, whatever is burdening you. Make sure that you get away from it. He doesn't focus his attention on directing you and me to escape or run away from something, but rather to him. He invites us to come to him as we're seeking escape. Now, I think we, we know this, and all of us, or most of us at least, know and are familiar with this Bible verse. But knowing a Bible verse isn't the same as applying it or putting it into practice or living it, is it? In fact, I would, I would contend that we're not very good at actually putting these words of Jesus, his invitation, into practice. We're good at, at reciting Bible verses. We know them. We learn them in catechism instruction. We can post a, a neat-looking Bible image on social media. We might even quote one, spit one out to somebody else that needs to hear it. But applying it, actually living it, is a, a different thing, isn't it? We're just not always so good at that. Let me see if I can prove it. What exactly do you envision when you hear these words of Jesus? When Jesus invites you to come to him with your weary, burdened soul, what does that look like in your mind? Do you actually apply his promise of peace to lift you up when your anxieties anchor you down? Do you actually take his guarantee that in him you are good enough even when your own voice in your head says otherwise? When you apply these words to Jesus, this invitation from him, do you allow that, that freedom that comes from forgiveness to loosen the grip of guilt, or do you insist on bearing and carrying with you that guilt everywhere you go? Because if none of these things come to mind when you hear these words of Jesus, then we're not really living them. We're not really applying. We're not really finding the comfort that Jesus intends us to find when we talk about escaping to him. So if you don't envision those types of things, if we struggle to apply these promises, then the, the good news is that Peter is going to guide us this morning in these words that we heard from our second reading, our second lesson. Listen to the first step that he encourages us to take. Again, recorded for us in 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourselves. I don't know about you, but when I think of all of the individuals in all of Scripture that could have recorded these words for us, there's probably not a better individual than Peter, one of the most humble of them all, right? I don't, you can shake your head no like this because Peter was not 
humble. In fact, his pride got him into trouble one time after another. Remember, it was, it was Peter who was doing just fine walking on water as Jesus extended the invitation to him and he focused on Jesus. But the minute that he looked off of or away from Jesus, he started to sink. It was Peter who, who, who thought nothing of taking Jesus to task for bringing up this matter of suffering and dying and rebuked Jesus, said, stop this silly talk, only to have Jesus turn the tables on him and rebuke him for his satanic sentiments. It was Peter who in, in arrogance, who in pride, insisted before Jesus, hey, even if everybody else ditches you when the going gets rough, I never will, only to turn around and deny him three times. Arrogant, pompous, egotistical Peter is the one who writes these words, which is exactly why he is the perfect candidate. Because if anybody could speak from experience of how any lack of humility is only going to get you in trouble, it's Peter. Anybody who's going to point to self and rely on, on his own confidence and his own ability, Peter had one example after another of how miserably that's going to work out. So in fact, Peter is quite qualified to say, hey, humility is where it's at. Don't take pride in yourself. It won't get you anywhere. But we also have to address the other side of Humility, because we often think that um, this issue of a lack of humility only means being too full of ourselves, being too prideful. So, so we reason that, well, if I'm self-deprecating, if I have a low opinion of myself, if I'm insecure, that's humility. Only that's not humility. It's the same exact problem as arrogance and pride. It's just coming on the other end of the spectrum. Whether you think too highly of yourself, which is pride, or you think too little of yourself in self-deprecating insecurity, it's the same problem you're thinking of yourself, which is exactly the exact, the exact opposite of humility. And once we realize that, that humility is a matter of not thinking of myself so much, too high or too low, but rather thinking of others, of, rather of thinking of my Lord, of Jesus, then we're ready for the next encouragement that Peter gives us in the following verse. After this invitation, this direction to say, humble yourselves, he follows it up with probably the most well-known section in, uh, well-known verse in this section. Verse 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When you are, are humble and you don't insist on bearing these things yourself or insist on devising your own escape, now you're ready to cast all your anxieties on him. Take note of what Peter didn't write. Peter didn't write, cast all your anxiety on Netflix, gaming, sports, Music, movies, reading, exercise, vacations, the list goes on and on and on and on. But have you ever stopped to think that when we turn to those things for escape, that that's exactly what we're doing? We're essentially rewriting Scripture. We're taking this very well-known verse from the Bible and we are saying, Lord, let me just edit it a little bit. Let me cross out this one word that says cast anxiety on him. Let me cross out the him and replace it and correct it. So that the right reading ought to be 
cast all your anxiety on scrolling. Cast all your anxiety on sports. Cast all your anxiety on Netflix, music, reading, vacation, exercise, any list of things that are not inherently wrong or sinful or bad in any way whatsoever, but become so when those are the things we turn to for relief. When those are the escape, realize what we're missing out on. No, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Not any of those other things. And if you need a little extra incentive to follow through and to see how important this is, then take note of the second part of the verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Can you say that about any one of those things that I mentioned in the list? Can you say Netflix cares about you? Sports cares about you? Gaming cares about you? Music cares about you? Your your library cares about you? Vacation cares about you? Socializing with friends cares about you? No. Not the way, not to the degree that your Lord does. It's not even close. None of those things, none of those people, nothing in this world can or will ever care for you the way the Lord does, positively, perfectly, permanently. So much so that no matter how riddled your past is with one escape after another, trying to to, to finagle your own way out of problems and anxiety and stress and conflict, And no matter how many times you realize it's all going to be a dead end because I'm too focused on what I'm escaping from instead of what I'm running to, the Lord still holds out his hands to you, inviting you to say, it's never too late, cast your anxiety on me. And when you walk out today and and in the future you do the exact same thing and you turn to something else for escape, only to meet that dead end once again, your Lord is still there still caring for you, still extending that invitation to come when you're weary and burdened, still offering to say, cast your anxiety on me because I care for you. And the proof is seen when you look at the hands of your Savior that he extends to you an invitation and you see the scars and you remember what he did for you. And the proof that he cares for you is received and tasted and felt in his body and blood that he gives to you to show you how much he cares for you. And the proof is found in the Word of God in in Scripture that, that stands firm and true and reliable even in the midst of a world that feels like it's crumbling apart all around us. His Word will endure forever. That's the proof that he cares for you. And you see the proof as your brothers and sisters in Christ express their care and their concern for you, reaching out to you in your moment of need to see how they can help and how they can serve you. Sometimes just saying, hi, how are you doing? Sometimes admonishing us when we need it. All of those are expressions of how God ultimately cares for you. And to know that is not just to bring a a few menial, trivial, small concerns to him. But as Peter encourages us, cast all your anxiety on him because of how much he cares for you. To realize 
that true escape is not so much what we're running from or escaping from, but rather what we're running to, who we are running to. There's another element that Peter kind of wraps up this section and we'll close with this morning. And it's this matter of suffering. When I realize that escape means running to Jesus, I have a different view of, of suffering altogether. And maybe you realize this, maybe you've fallen into the trap, but do you know how ill-equipped our world is currently to deal with any measure of suffering at all? We come up with terms like helicopter and lawnmower parents to guard and protect our children from any sort of harm or suffering or, or, or anything that's difficult in this life. And teenagers and, and young adults nowadays are, are raised up in the sense that, that virtually anything can be construed as bullying. Anything can be offensive. And it doesn't go away when we're adults. Adults have just devised cancel culture. If somebody makes me feel bad, if something's hard or difficult, we will lash back and place the blame on them so that I can free myself of any suffering. How dare somebody else inflict some emotional or physical wound on me? We'll make them pay. We are ill-equipped to deal with suffering, but notice the different perspective that we have, the different view on, on suffering actually being able to serve us as only God can make it do. Listen to how Peter wraps up the section in verse 9. It says, You know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Peter says that suffering is going to be for your good. Peter says that suffering is a measure of God demonstrating to you how much he cares for you because he promises always to deliver you through it. And that shifts how we view and how we handle, how we cope with suffering. To have an unhealthy relationship with suffering is like that first runner being chased through the woods. Inevitably, it's going to stumble and fall and give up all hope. But the sprinter who is focusing not on, on what she is running from, but what she's running to, she views suffering differently. It's pain, it's hardship, it's an obstacle to be overcome because in so doing, it's going to make what's waiting all the more sweet. And so, dear friends, with that same confidence that Jesus promises to you and to me that, that the ending is indeed going to be sweet, let us not walk, let us not mosey along, but let us run to Jesus to take him up at his invitation, to cast every care and anxiety on him when we are weary and burdened. Because we know, and faith allows us to be completely confident that once we're done with this suffering, how sweet the finish is going to be. Amen.